0: Just kingdom focus. Let us be uh, sensitive to hearing the the message of of hope, but the message of instruction in our text this morning as well. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen. Turning your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter sixteen. Can you believe we're in the final chapter of the book so this is the series we've been in for uh, a few months uh, the call to be spiritual that's first Corinthians This sermon that we're going to look at in the first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 16 um, I've entitled taking care of the family Taking care of the family That's the first 12 verses Of the chapter I became convinced we needed 12 in this first half um Later in the week, okay. So as I've said, I've called this sermon "Taking Care of the Family," and that might bring up different things in your mind. If I say "take care of the family," you might have one thing in your head, and you might have something else in your head. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the uh, uh, the young younger families uh, in the church, uh, people who have uh, little kids still in the house. Seems like just a minute ago that was Courtney and me, um, but uh, no longer. Um, And parents with uh, little kids in the house, they have a lot of things that they're responsible for. Um, No amens yet. I thought maybe I might get one there. Uh, Teaching kids, providing for them, protecting them, just preserving their lives oftentimes. Uh, Training them to love Christ and serve his church as we do. I mean, lots of different things might spring into your mind. But I want you to expand this idea of taking care of the family. I want you to expand this idea of taking care of the family to include taking care of the church, but not just our church, but uh, taking care of those who are in the church, but outside of our local church, the brothers and sisters out there that, that God has put in our lives, but they are ministering in other places, brothers and sisters serving Christ both near and far, Just as the Lord brings unbelievers into each of our lives that, you know, you have unbelievers in your life that are not the same ones in my life. Just as the Lord does that, brings people who need to hear the gospel into our circles, so he brings gospel partners into the circles of our church. And just like we have a duty to love and care for our kids and our brothers and sisters here at Union Lake, we too have a duty to love and care for Christians outside the church whom God has put into our acquaintance, put into our friendship. And so with that, let's take a look at our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. This is God's word, friends. Pay careful attention. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries." When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit, uh, visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. it's easy to uh, just sort of gloss over the ends of Paul's letters. Um, But they contain so much good and helpful, practical instruction for us on how to live together uh, as God's people. And so the theme um, I hope to convince you of from these verses is this, the church is duty-bound to help the saints near and far. The church is duty-bound to help the saints near and far. Now, this isn't, uh, this isn't something new. Th- this isn't something that we only find at the end of 1 Corinthians. It's a common theme in the epistles, that is, the letters of the New Testament. Um, for example, Paul wrote this to the Galatians. Galatians 6 and verse 6. One who is taught the word must share all things with the one who teaches, That's an example of taking care of somebody who's near, the, the leaders of the New Testament church. But he goes on in verse 10 of Galatians 6 to say this, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now he doesn't say of our local church there. He says of the household of faith. So that includes people that are far, if you will. To the Galatians, Paul put it in um, terms of a principle, right? You, you ought to do this. But in our text, it's applied to specific people. Did you notice that? I mean, he names names here. Because our wider Christian family is just that, right? Real people. When we think of people out across town starting a new church or or, or, or a team that's trying to revitalize a dying church on this side of town or a missionary that's doing Uh, new work in a place where nobody knows the gospel. It's real people we're talking about. Real people adopted into the same family as we are because of Christ's love. Real people who are on the same mission as the one we're on. Real people with real needs out there ministering. Spiritual people think this way. Remember, this book's all about the call to be spiritual, to think and and live in a way that is distinctly Christian, that's, that, that's powered and filled by the Spirit. Spiritual people think this way when they think about other Christians out there on the mission. They see the big picture. But in our flesh, we can be narrow-minded, can't we? We can think our resources ought to be only for ourselves. Uh, it was not too long ago where we uh, w- were going to do something to help a uh, another uh, Christian work, and I was. I heard these words in response We're too small of a church to help those outside. But we're called to be spiritual, and that's the message of this book. And so, Paul calls the Corinthians to think maturely, to be spiritual about taking care of the family. Yes, the church is duty bound to help the saints both near and and far, they are to see those from other churches as gospel partners and delight in helping them when they're struggling, when they're in need of financial help and, and, and when they're in need of encouragement and fellowship when they grow weary. Paul helps the Corinthians and us see our duty to care for the wider Christian family that we're connected with to help the saints both near and far. And he lays out two dimensions of that duty for us. The church is to help brothers in extreme trials and also those who are engaged in exhausting toil. Extreme trials and exhausting toil. That's how we'll walk through the two parts of our passage this morning. First, helping gospel. Concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. You see, stitching different pockets of the church together there. The saints that were in need were the ones in Jerusalem. He'd already told the many churches in Galatia, and now he's telling the Corinthian church. But why is it the duty, or rather what kind of duty is it, to help those who are in extreme trials. Well, first, the church helping gospel partners in extreme trials is their joyful duty. It's their joyful duty. Paul tells the Corinthians to do what he had already told other churches to do to help those in Jerusalem who at the time were in dire need because of a severe famine. He had already arranged for churches like the one in Lystra and Derby, for instance, that they were in the area of Galatia. And now he had called the Corinthians to follow suit, to join in this joyful duty. Helping gospel partners in cases of, of desperate need ought to be seen as our duty. It ought to be seen as our Christian duty, but it, it ought to be seen as a labor of love, a duty of joy. For it is rooted in our being part of a great family of people who have had their greatest needs met by the one and only Savior of the world. So such a command from Paul should have been received by the Corinthians as a reminder to practice joyful generosity, or to say it in other words, to be Christian. It's that, that, that rooted faith that all Christians share, the that makes them part of the one family of God. Paul began this letter with this viewpoint of unity and brotherhood. We're at the end now, but think way back to, first, to chapter 1 and even the second verse of the book, who he directed the letter to. Listen. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, listen now, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The book starts this way. That that the the Corinthian church ought to see themselves not as this little exclusive club, but rather part of a grand family purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word in verse 1 that Paul uses there when he says, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so now you're directed, that word, is actually the word for command. But it should have been received as an encouragement to just do what is expected inside God's family. The Corinthians ought to have wanted to help their brothers and sisters way over in Jerusalem. So the church helping gospel partners in extreme trials, it's their joyful duty as they see the big picture and see the family and, and, and remembering what Christ did for them, uh, empowering them and, and giving them the joy to help others who were in physical need. But Christians ought also to help as a glorious duty as a glorious duty. Christians ought to jump at the chance to help those in extreme need, especially when they're different from us. Especially when they're different from us. This is where the glory comes in. Not only is it a joyful duty, but a glorious one because it points to Christ's love for all peoples in the world. Particularly when we sacrifice for those of a different race or ethnicity or, or culture, we magnify the grace of God that came to us in Christ. Most of us, perhaps all of us, are Gentiles. And for Gentiles who make up the great majority of the church, we have to remember that we were originally outsiders to God's salvation promises. We were stranger to, strangers to the family of God. Initially, his covenant applied only to Jewish people. But in his great mercy, he has made a way for all people to come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Or we'd be outside still. Listen to Ephesians 2 and verse 12. Remember that you, speaking to Gentiles, remember that you were separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, creating in himself one new man in place of the two, reconciling us both to God. Friends, remember that. That you were once outside and were brought inside because of Jesus. And so when you see people that look different than you, you ought to desire to help them. Because it, it puts on display then this glorious duty for those who have been brought inside. We get the great privilege of showing the unity of the church when we help those who are different than we are. It reflects the stunning breadth of God's love. And that was the opportunity that the Gentile church in Corinth had when the need of the Jerusalem church was held out to them. For the Jerusalem church was, as you might expect, overwhelmingly Jewish. Faith in Christ started with them. That was where the church was birthed. But that faith was shared to the Gentiles as the missionary work went forward. Now they had a chance to return blessings across racial boundaries, a glorious duty indeed, and we get that same opportunity. So friends, there's no place in the Christian church for prejudice, for racial prejudice. There's no place in the church for discriminating against different cultures. We've got to take our... We've got to take our page for our mission not from cable news that that wants to stir up fear so often between peoples, but rather from the sacred scriptures. Other churches had already served as an example for the Corinthians in this regard. Paul spoke spoke this to the Roman church. Listen now, Romans 15, verse 25. "'I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints.' For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. Yes, the, the, the duty those of us have in Christ is in helping our brothers and sisters in profound trial. And so Paul expects they will receive his command as an easy one to follow as they consider the dire spiritual need they received. Christians ought to see helping gospel partners in extreme trials as a joyful duty, as a glorious duty, and also as an urgent duty. Paul had written to Titus of the need for the church to appreciate this. Listen to Titus chapter 3 and verse 14 now. Let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. What is it to be Christian? To see the urgent needs of those in other places on the same mission in the greater family of God and come to their aid because it's urgent. When calamity strikes and people have no resources and have been stripped of their access to things like health care or food or even shelter, those who have much need to appreciate the severe pressure that the needy are under every day that their trial persists, it's easy for us to be numb to others' needs because it's foreign to us, and, and we see so much need on, on, on news and things like that. But this is where the compassion of Christ is to be adopted and cultivated among his people. And because of its urgency, that means they need to be deliberate about how they help. And Paul gives some rather uh, 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 detailed instruction on, on how the, the saints in Jerusalem were to be helped. First, He told the Corinthians that they were to give regularly. Did you see that in verse 2? On the first day of every week. It's impossible to meet really costly needs all at once. When when there's a great need, when there's a a vast need, it's, it's hard to take up one collection and sort of meet the need. Love should be demonstrated by giving to the Lord and His people regularly over time. Now this passage is talking about meeting others' needs, but you should see this in application to your regular giving to support the work here at your own church. Paul wanted them to store up their collections over time so that it would be ready when he got there. Another benefit is that it cultivates your prayer and affections for other people as you give over time. If you do it one time, it's easy to forget about those people. But as you do it in a sustained way, through prayerful attention, you can now grow in your heart affection for people in need. So they were to give regularly. They were also to give, all of them were to give, and according to their ability. That's in the middle part of verse 2. Each of you is to put something aside as he may prosper. Everyone was to participate. The church isn't simply to let the richest among them do all the giving. You ever do that? You ever do that and say like, ah, uh, we're a little tight. We're going to let other people take care of this today. Friends, that's not Christian. Christians give, Christians love, Christians care for the wider community. The church isn't to, to leave it to a handful of people to give. Whatever each of us has, God has given to us. Maybe you don't have more because, because you're not responsible enough with what he has given you. But he gives to you so that you can help other people. He gives us resources, resources so we can not only care for ourselves, but for others also. We don't all give the same amount. That's not the point. But but we all are part of God's family and so we should all come together and give. Come together to meet the assistance brothers and sisters have who are in need. Third, the Corinthians were to give under the direction of their local church. This is the last part of verse 2. Whomever you approve, that is you Corinthians, the church, I'll send them with letters To carry your gift to Jerusalem, the church, God's wisdom for for, for ministry, for mercy ministry in particular. It's not that you cannot give directly to, to various charities and things like that. Hey, listen, don't set restrictions on your mercy. But the primary way that you ought to give is through the local church. God's given you spiritual leaders. Deacons that, that oftentimes head up mercy ministry. And under their direction, needs can be verified, that these people are in fact in need. You know how many people knock on the door that, that feign neediness but aren't actually needy? They can be verified. Steps can be taken to prevent monies being misused and even going missing, things like that. And so, friends, when extreme trials come to the wider family, allow the church to help you fulfill your duty. We can't help everyone, obviously. And we often cannot help dire needs only through our efforts. Sometimes we need to partner with other churches. But we need to cultivate a heart of compassion, being read, making ourselves ready to take care of the family as we have opportunity, take care of that part of God's family that God has brought into our our relationship. So I would just ask you, do you have that kind of compassion? Do you think about other people's needs inside the church, outside the church? Do you see it as your duty to help Christians ministering the gospel in other places who, who don't have what they need? Do you see it as your duty to help those weary out there on the mission? Friends, check your heart at this point. It's so easy for us to just be concerned about our own sitch. But, but we've got to seek God's face in this. We've got to ask him to change us into mature spiritual people that see, that, that see it as our duty. Not a duty of drudgery, a duty of joy, a, a glorious duty, but an urgent duty to help those out there on the mission that are related to us. They're in the extended family on the same mission. Ask God to change your heart, to soften your heart in this regard. The church is duty-bound to help the saints near and far. The first aspect of that duty is to help our gospel partners who are in extreme trial. That's what we've been talking about. But the other aspect, the other part of our duty is this, helping gospel partners in their exhausting toil is also the duty of the church. We see this in verses 5 through the end, through verse 12 there. So helping gospel partners in their extreme trial is the duty of the church. And now, so too is helping them in their exhausting toil. Look at verses 5 and 6 there. It's not immediately seen in these verses, but I think as we think about it, you'll see it. Paul writes, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go that's at the tail end what about this exhausting toil what am I talking about here the work of those devoted to gospel ministry can be exhausting let's take it down a notch moms do you find the care of your little ones exhausting ever Feel like you're out of juice at the end of the day sometimes, or maybe lots of times. This applies also out in God's mission field. Those who are out there uh, uh, devoted devoted gospel ministry, they can be out of juice. This is particularly true of those who have itinerant ministries that, that travel around like Paul did. And so many missionaries and ministers have followed that pattern even to this day. Think about Jorge Vasquez in in Arkansas. Jorge lives in one community, travels to another where El Faro is, his main church plant. But he's planted two churches out of that church plant. And so he travels to those churches also. He's constantly also ministering in, in the wider Hispanic church. He's always engaged in ministry. He's going from place to place, discipling this group and that group, uh, hosting this conference, attending this prayer meeting, and and, and he's he's just sort of weaving back and forth in Arkansas. Think about how exhausting that is. Oh, and also he leads mission trips to even poorer communities. The migrant community in Arkansas is pretty poor. But there's even poorer communities in Central America, like places like Honduras, that they re- regularly go and and bring and bring, uh, and bring uh, resources for children um, through the local churches down there. Think about Ben Layer pastoring his two church plants in Poland, and and also having a passion to help the the wider Polish church stop. Preaching in a way that doesn't transform anyway, stop evangelizing in a way that doesn't introduce anybody to the real Jesus. He's tireless in his efforts. He, he, he's heading translation teams to get good resources to, into the hands of other pastors there. He's started a website. He's constantly introducing new initiatives to, to teach people how to be better pastors. How exhausting it must be. Notice how Paul emphasizes the long trip he would make through Macedonia, not unlike the trips in Arkansas and in Poland. He mentions that he's going to go through Macedonia twice in verse 5. Bible writers always repeat for emphasis. That's an underline for you. He's going through Macedonia. In case you didn't know, he's going to go through Macedonia. Well, what's he going to do there? He was hoping to 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 do a bunch of ministry there, and to get it all done by winter. But he's not going to leave Ephesus yet, because there's ministry there to do. Winter's going to restrict his travel, and so he's got to cram in a bunch of ministry in different places so they won't be stranded and not be able to get to Corinth. He had first planned to minister to the churches of places like Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica. That's Macedonia. Perhaps there were others. Lots of work, friends. Lots of, of counseling and instructing and correcting work. Lots of encouragement and strengthening of their faith. Lots of training of leaders. Lots of mercy ministry. In fact, listen to him recounting his work to the Thessalonian church. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and verse 7. We were not idle when we were with you. With toil and labor we worked night and day. And Paul intended to do yet more work when he reached Corinth. Verse 7, I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you. The plan was for extended ministry, lengthy work there. Yes, lots of work, lots of travel. Think how exhausted he must have been as he toiled night and day for each of these different regions full of churches that he had planted. The work of those devoted to gospel ministry can be exhausting. And so their work causes in them a need to be helped by the church, the greater church, the wider church. Paul needed resources to support what he was doing. And, And that support was to come from other churches that was supposed to be sent to him. He speaks of this at the end of the book of Philippians, for example. He worked a second job for much of it, but he relied on the saints also to supply his needs. Notice how he wasn't shy of speaking about it. Look there at verse 6. I will stay with you so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. This is good and right for the church to support those who are out there on the mission. And it wasn't only himself he was concerned about. He also advised them of other gospel partners coming to them that would need, need their care as well. They were to help Timothy on his way, verse 10, when he came to Corinth. And he also told Apollos to get there at some point also. Do you see how the church is supposed to, to, to view saints from other places as family, friends? Do, do you see that? Is that foreign to you or is that something that, that, that God is teaching you? Do, you? do you see those that are out there on the mission as family that we're supposed to care for because they're weary on the journey and we have means by God's grace to help them with? Pray God will soften your heart so that, that you have the right view of those people out there. People that you may only know their name. You've only read a paragraph uh, from a, 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 you know, an email missions report or something like that. Here's another thing. Gospel partners need more than money and physical resources. That's what we tend to. The, the American church is like that. Write a check. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's good and right. But, but there's more to it than that. Gospel partners also need Fellowship. Missionaries are so lonely so often. They need encouragement and rest from their extended family in the faith. Look again at verse 10 there. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. I think that's the Christian standard version. Make make it where he doesn't have anxiety. Work hard so that when he comes, it'll be a peaceful time with you. He'll he'll be afforded rest with you in your care. Paul wanted more than the Corinthians' wealth. He wanted them. And and, and God wants more than our money also. He wants us to be devoted to the the wider family uh, of the church. Paul wanted, wanted the Corinthians' partnership. This is surely one of the reasons he wanted Timothy and Paul to go there in the first place. And, and why he wanted to have an extended stay with them. Now, he was going to do ministry for them too, but no doubt he wanted that fellowship coming back to him over a long haul also. It had been a long missionary journey. What impact you can have on people who are weary, who are serving the Lord. Friends, do you ever open your home up for people to stay? Do you ever Do you ever say, hey, Come stay at our house, give them the big room, give them some meals, stuff all kinds of gifts and, 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 and money and, 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 and help in their suitcases. Do you do that? That's our duty to help those out there in exhausting toil. It's a delight. It's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity God gives us. I wonder if you see missionaries and, and, and people starting little works that don't have any resources that way. The church is duty-bound to help the saints near and far. We started off and we looked at uh, the fact that we are to help gospel partners in extreme trial and, and now those in exhausting toil, but there's something else, something that lies behind it all. If you've drifted away, come on back and listen now. Helping gospel partners is our duty because the Lord directs their, their their lives and their work. The Lord's the one captaining all of this. Why is the church duty bound to help those in extreme trial? Because it's the Lord who brings trial to his people for their good. So jump on in. This is the Lord's work here, these trials. Look at James 1, be reminded, verse 2. "'Count it all joy, my brothers,' this is a frequently uh, quoted passage, but listen with new ears now. "'Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing.' Several verses later, he'll remind them every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father, even these good trials. The Father sends trials to his people to produce steadfast faith in them. In us, but also those out on the mission, uh, across town, in, in the city, overseas, wherever. And he does this to produce a faith-fueled reliance on Him rather than on their own abilities, rather than on their own way to steer away from all kinds of difficulties. God brings us trials but for our good. He brings trials to us that will result in our becoming complete, lacking nothing, even when outwardly we may lack a great deal. There's divine intention to trials. And one of the many ways that God brings that about, that steadfastness, that, 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 that steeled faith, if you will, is through the love that comes through others in the family of God in the nick of time. Somebody they never knew that mails a check. Some unlikely email that says, Could I come help you in the work? So some some Unexpected invitation that says, come and rest a while with me. How great is our experience of God's love when we see him sending help through others. How greater still is our faith in the Lord when he has people from faraway places send us aid in our distress. Think about the impact on the faith of other people you might have. Because they're in trial and you helped in God's name. Why is the church duty-bound to help those in exhausting toil? Because it's the Lord's work they are pouring themselves out to accomplish. Why ought the Corinthians to have helped Paul? Because he was engaged in gospel ministry. Look at verses 8 and and 9 there. I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door of effective work has opened to me that God opened to him. Why ought they to have wanted to help Paul because Paul was engaged in gospel ministry that the Lord gave to him that's reason enough that's why Paul says in I think it's in Philippians 4 where he says listen I don't need your money I want it to be credited to your account get in and on the work Why ought the Corinthians to have helped Timothy? Because he too was engaged in gospel ministry. Look at verse 10 there. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. You see it? So you get to partner in the work. You don't only get the gospel work that God gives you. You get the chance to partner with other gospel work, friends. Be devoted to him. He's working everywhere. He's working through people that aren't here. And you can partner with them. You get to hitch your wagon to them. And then I think about my own way of thinking. And so I say, sometimes we can get in our own way. We can have a certain kind of help in our mind, and it's only this kind of help. Or or we can have an idea of when help would be convenient for us to give. But it's important for us to see that our duty to help doesn't change when our timetable or our expectations aren't met. We are expected to come to the aid of gospel partners even when they don't do what we hoped. Like when they came or something like that. Or, Or when we have to give ourselves to people we weren't expecting. Our duty remains even when needs arise that go against how we hoped things would go. Well, what do I mean? There's some examples of it in the text. Paul coming to Corinth wasn't an exact appointment, right? Hey, get your house ready. I'm coming now. I'm going to stay in this one place uh, uh, because I've got work to do here, and I'm going to go to all of these other churches, and I hope to get to your place by winter. So just make it ready, would you? It's ongoing heart of hospitality. That's what we have to be prepared for, right? And And we can't We can't look at exact appointments. We can't schedule these things out perfectly. Paul's coming to Corinth depending on what ministry needed to be done in Macedonia, how long he'd be in Ephesus, and and what might happen with the many adversaries he might face. He dropped that in. I don't know if you caught that. Situations change. Plans need to be reworked. For example, the, the Vasquez's were supposed to be with us this past July, and you know what happened. Daisy contracted cancer. Paul spoke of his hopeful plans to arrive in Corinth, but he knew the Lord might have other plans. Look at verse 7 there, the second half. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. This could have been a source of frustration for the Corinthians could have been a source of anger directed at Paul, but the apostle disciples them even in the words of our text. In this letter he wrote to them, they were duty-bound to help because those out on the mission serve as the Lord directs. It's, it's not Paul's ability to shape his, his perfect itinerary. The Lord is the one that's in control of his life and ministry. The Corinthians may also have been surprised at Paul sending Timothy to them in the meanwhile. Wait a minute, you're not, you might not get here and you're sending this guy? But what is certain is that there, there were divisive forces at work in Corinth. Remember from the beginning, different people trying to say, let's follow this guy or that guy. Some who were sowing dissension, they may have targeted Timothy as Paul's representative. And they were on a different team. But Paul instructed the church to make Timothy's time peaceful. Even if it wasn't what they were hoping for. To to make sure that he experienced rest among them and help him as he went out on the mission once again. What a call for us to serve people even when perhaps we wanted someone else to come instead. We have to remember that God's servants come and go as he directs. Apollos' coming to Corinth had been delayed. He's not even coming. He didn't want to come right then. Maybe later. Verse 12, they would have to wait until he had opportunity. And a lot of people liked Apollos. Remember, he he was a big get. That was a leader a lot of people wanted to follow. And they were going to have to wait. God's timing is perfect even when we experience disappointment or we see our timetable as better and we're upended. We need to learn this lesson again and again, don't we? Even now we wait for Christ's return. We long to see him face to face, but he directs his servants to us in their need over and over until that time. He gives us the privilege of helping those he commissions both near and far. The church is duty bound to help them. Their gospel partners, and we are to help them in both their extreme need and also in their exhausting work, and, and because it's the Lord who directs their lives and their work. So how is the Lord calling you to respond today, friends? You're here under God's direction to hear his word. So what is his spirit calling you to do? Do you need to have a wider view of the Christian mission and your part in it? Ask God for repentance of any sort of selfishness or, or sort of me, me, me kind of way of seeing the faith. Ask him to, to, to give you greater faith, to see the bigger picture. Ask him to make you a spiritual person, mature, seeing things the way he sees things contemplate the call of Hebrews 13 verse 3 remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated think those an extreme trial here remember them since you also are in the body do you need help in that area ask God to help you expand your mind you need to have a change of heart towards generosity are you somebody that likes to sort of hole up by yourself Maybe you don't think of yourself as stingy, but no one would describe you as hospitable either. Think about these things, friends. There are urgent needs out there that you could meet if you saw your role in it, your duty. Maybe you're generous with money, but not with giving of yourself. Maybe you need to get involved in people's lives. What's the Lord calling you to do today? Take a few moments of just quiet reflection over the Word of God and and ask God to show you those things.